Sure, your phone is amazing, but it's not amazing at playing music in your car. CarThing, Spotify's hardware device, is. Easier access to all your playlists and podcasts, with no lock screen or other distractions, and voice command of it all. Because a car just isn't a car without your music. That's what Spotify thinks at least. Your car just got upgraded with CarThing. Get a CarThing from Spotify. Hey everyone, welcome to the Fantasy Football Addicts Podcast, part of the Fantrax family of podcasts. My name is Mung, and of course you can find me on Twitter at FFA underscore Mung, that's M-E-N-G. Hey everybody, it's Los, FFA underscore Los, same sort of thing, Twitter of course. Almost through week one of the NFL season, there's no better time to be alive, Mung. Well, tell that to uh, some of my teams from week one that uh, severely underperformed expectations. It's like uh, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth, right? I feel like I say that every year. <laughs> You're Do exactly you? right. I, uh, I'm suffering the same uh, issue in, in, uh, in our league of note together. Um, but I hopefully Mark Andrews can help me pull through the evening. Um, we shall see. We shall see. Yes, unfortunately, uh, I did suffer some Raheem Mostert losses. I had Ryan Fitzpatrick in a super flex league, so some rough injuries all around, but hopefully uh, better things for week two. I still believe in, you know, the core of my team, and hopefully with good management, good waiver wire picks, and good lineups from here on out, it won't be a huge issue. You had a good thought process going through the preseason, good process going through the draft. Don't go shaking up the whole cage just because crazy things can happen in week one or any single week of the NFL season. Honestly, things things reverberate more inside of us. We remember week one a lot better than we remember just about every week, maybe except championship week. But if something happens in week one, it's going to shake us to our core. Everybody still remembers the name uh, Kevin Ogletree, even though that was like 30 years ago now. <laughs> Yeah, well, certainly uh, it is far too early to start celebrating, and it's far too early to start panicking, whether you won or lost in week one. And we'll go through uh, all these game previews, and we'll talk about which players we need to react accordingly to and which ones perhaps not to overreact to. But before we get to those, we want to talk to you guys about Thrive Fantasy. Thrive offers DFS-style contests on player props super easy to play. You just pick 10 out of the 20 props for the week and each player prop gets assigned a fantasy point value for the over and under based on how likely the outcome is. The more you get correct, the bigger the payout and Thrive Fantasy has over $100,000 in weekly prizes, including their Sunday contest where first place wins 20 grand. Sign up now with our promo code FFA and you'll receive an instant 100% deposit match of up to $100 for your first deposit with a minimum $10 deposit. Check it out today on the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store, or you can play at thrivefantasy.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-E fantasy.com. The first game... Well, what's that? No, I was going to say you want to talk about thriving. This, uh, this first team certainly is not. No, but uh, I don't think many expected them to coming into the season. And of course, we're talking about the Thursday night football matchup between the New York Giants at the Washington football team. I think the only thing 
to really touch on here is don't panic on Saquon Barkley. Uh, you know, Washington on a Thursday night with a quick turnaround certainly isn't good news if you're relying on him as your RB1. There aren't too many options that I would bench Barkley for, but it is hard to rank him as more than a mid-range back-end RB2 for week two or as of now. Do you disagree with that? No, I completely agree. Uh, this this was a tough week one for those uh, for those middling first-round running backs, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, and Ezekiel Elliott, but they're first-rounders for a reason. Yeah, the workload hopefully will ramp up over the next couple weeks. Uh, again, Washington isn't a good matchup, but the Giants' schedule does ease up a little bit after this week, so we knew that he could start the year a little bit slowly. Uh, hopefully you have good wide receiver uh, and quarterback tight end options to make up some of that deficit. Well, speaking of slow quarterback and wide receiver and tight end options, we're talking about the Giants, right? Um, Daniel Jones was held to 254 pass yards. I do not expect much more from him here in Washington. I'd try to avoid Kenny Galladay, who I expect to be a focus of the defense here. Uh, and for that reason, we, we just saw Sterling Shepard have a nice, solid 110-plus yard day. He would not be a bad, cheap option if needed in a pinch here. Certainly don't love, uh, don't love it, but I... I was not drafting Galladay, but this would be a week where I would probably play Shepard over Galladay. Yeah, I mean, we heard a steady drum beat all throughout training camp that Sterling Shepard looked like the best player on the Giants, and he showed that in week one. I would continue starting him in that wide receiver three spot. Clearly has chemistry with Daniel Jones. On the Washington side here, a big question heading into this season was how was Antonio Gibson going to get used, not only as a runner, but also potentially more as a receiver out of the backfield. And he showed up beautifully in week one. Uh, I have him as a back-end RB1 this week, considering the workload we saw against the Chargers, 20 carries and five targets. Didn't score the touchdown, but that kind of usage is exactly what you want from your RB1. I'm betting on a close game here with plenty of carries for Gibson, probably at least the touchdown here, especially if Washington is able to jump out to an early lead. Of course, the big thing here is Ryan Fitzpatrick with that hip injury. He's going to be out multiple weeks, potentially the season. What do you think about that? I don't like it at all. Uh, I don't like it one bit. I know one of your uh, one of your big take calls in the preseason was for Heineke to overtake Ryan Fitzpatrick. I don't think this is what you had in mind. Um, but I, you're probably going to touch on what your feelings are. But I don't really see your excitement with Heineke. Hopefully, you're on the right side and I'm wrong. But... To me, we've just seen one competitive postseason game, which he lost and only threw one touchdown in. Um, I digress, though. To me, this is a step back from the elite potential for Terry McLaurin that I felt he had coming into the season. But I do think that his, his value will maintain him, in, at least in the high-end wide receiver two conversation. Yeah, you know, I know I, I've taken some flack for this, but I see Heineke as a potential upgrade over Fitzpatrick. Yeah. I was I never bought into the Fitzmagic hype. Um, you know, for me, if you were excited about Ryan Fitzpatrick this season because of the offensive weapons, the surrounding talent for him, then you should be doubly excited for Heineke with the same weapons, but he's a more mobile quarterback, gives you a rushing floor and upside. We've seen him run in the past, and I don't think this is a downgrade for Terry McLaurin. I, I would not be panicking about him. He had six catches for 75 yards from Heineke against the Bucks in the playoffs, so I think Heineke can support these fantasy options, and we saw him toss a touchdown to Logan Thomas. So I, I think this is business as usual for me in terms of the Washington rushing and receiving weapons here. 
Um, all that- see, see, to me, I think you touched on the exact issue that, that I have in the Heineke versus Fitzpatrick. For me, it's not so much that I love Ryan Fitzpatrick, but he does hyper-target his number one wide receiver option and tends to avoid the tight end. Whereas I think we have just seen a slight step back for, for McLaurin and a definite step up for Logan Thomas that's already paid dividends. Yeah, well, especially with uh, Curtis Samuel out for a little bit, uh, it should be a better floor and ceiling uh, for Thomas as well in that regard. Uh, All that being said, I will take the Washington football team, who I picked as my winner for the NFC East. Congratulations. You're off to a good start. Uh, I'm also going with the Washington Redskins here. Um, Shouldn't be too much of a uh, struggle here at home. All right, moving on then to the Sunday noon Central 1 p.m. Eastern games. Kicking it off, it's going to be the Cincinnati Bengals at the Chicago Bears. And uh, fantasy teams who drafted Joe Mixon should rejoice because we saw exactly what we wanted from him in week one, which was an efficient run game. And more importantly, Mixon being heavily involved as a receiver out of the backfield, a 15% target share in game one, even with those three great wide receivers for Burrow to throw to. So Certainly love to see that if you have Mixon. And uh, also, I had the Bengals wide receivers ranked in the preseason. Chase over Higgins over Boyd, and nothing that we saw in week one has changed that at all for me. Yeah, totally agree there. Um, If you're especially ranking on the upside, I did not expect uh, Jamar Chase to get off to quite a quick start. I was hoping for him actually not to, so that maybe I could go in and try and uh, work some trades for him from a disgruntled uh, manager. But... Whatever. You can't always get what you want. I don't have much to add here. Maybe temper your expectations a bit for Mixon against Chicago, uh, but that does not necessarily mean to shy away from any of these players. Yeah, and on the Chicago side, the running back for them looks good as well. David Montgomery uh, showed up against the Rams on Sunday night, and don't panic on Allen Robinson at all. He'll be just fine when he's not facing probably one of the best secondaries in the league right now. On the ancillary side here, Cole Komet, Darnell Mooney, both were involved pretty heavily. I'm not sure that either are going to be reliable options from week to week, but certainly they're there if you need a flex play or a tight end that you're streaming. I don't know that there's a whole lot to discuss until we get some sort of announcements uh, that Justin Fields is going to start. I'd be fine with Mooney uh, in this game, honestly, against uh, against Cincinnati. I think that Nagy... uh, this is going to come back and bite me, but I think he had a good game plan keeping the routes on the shorter side um, against uh, that defensive line. Uh, we saw Dalton get the ball out rocket fast, and he really did not look near as bad as he was in the preseason. Very happy to see Justin Fields in there uh, looking much better than Trey Lance, mind you. But that's you know another discussion for later in the day. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm happy with uh, what I saw out of this Chicago output against the L.A. Rams, who we expect to be a top-flight defense. So, um Call me a homer, but uh, I'm finally feeling positive about something in Chicago. Yeah, and, you know, to your point, I don't think that Andy Dalton was necessarily the issue. The offensive line didn't give him much time, and at the same time, uh, the defense didn't do the Bears any favors on Sunday night either. But uh, either way here, uh, the Cincinnati defense looks much better than advertised as well, putting pressure all day long on Kirk Cousins. I expect them to give Dalton and the Bears some issues too. It's a very close matchup here. Could go either way, but I'm leaning the Bengals coming off of that uh, momentum win in week one. I didn't want to do it, but I, but I've, I've been convinced by a producer I'm going to take Cincinnati here on the road in Chicago. All right. 
the Bengals versus the Bears, Lions, Tigers, Bears, and why? Let's oh move on then to Houston at Cleveland. The Texans uh, ranked probably 32 in every single person's power rankings. Shocked everyone by dominating the Jaguars, but don't read too much into that week one massacre. This is still a bad team that just so happened to beat up on another bad team. Uh, of course, Brandon Cooks was a value in the preseason at his ADP. Should be a decent wide receiver three option again this week, but I'd avoid all the rest of the Texans. We saw Mark Ingram get a ton of carries with the Texans leading, but I expect actually a bigger game in PPR formats from David Johnson this week with Houston probably trailing uh, by quite a bit for most of the game against the Browns. We are one week in, and all three Houston running backs have a touchdown. Phil Lindsey, Mark Ingram, and David Johnson. Just a crazy, wild, wild league. Um, yeah, it's still just Brandon Cooks. Yep. On the Browns side, nobody saw more than five targets against Kansas City, so Baker Mayfield spreading the ball around. And in this game against Houston, I expect a heavy dose of both Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Chubb is a locked-in top five running back for me here. And Hunt could be a decent RB3 option with upside, too, if you're betting on some garbage time for him in the half if Cleveland's up big here. Yeah, this is the right game plan for this team. They they did very well against KC, as we somewhat alluded to last week. Uh, limit the throws here for Baker. Operate an offense with your two stud running backs. Don't forget how good Kareem Hunt is. To me, Hunt is a flex play at worst and a high-end running back, too, at best this week. He, depending on your options, he's pretty locked in for me. Yeah, so the big question here is, uh, hypothetically speaking, Los, let's say Odell Beckham gets a couple practices in, full practices Thursday and Friday, um, is active against Houston. Where do you feel comfortable ranking him without seeing him at all this preseason? He'd be a wide receiver three for me here, here against Houston. Yeah, I do think this would be a good matchup to ease him in against, but uh, yeah. certainly not encouraging. But I don't that. expect the volume to be high at all, though. Right, yeah, and it just worries me that he himself said that he didn't feel like he could play, uh, you know, a significant number of snaps against uh, the the Chiefs after warming up pregame. So it's definitely something to monitor there. Um, all that being said, I will take Cleveland fairly easily in this one. I agree, Cleveland Browns. All right, so the next game here: the L.A. Rams at the Indianapolis Colts. We like Cook, excuse me, Woods and Cup and Stafford. Heading into 2021, the big storylines for the Rams from week one were that one, Daryl Henderson was a workhorse with Sony Michelle, probably purely a handcuff hold at this point. Uh, maybe he'll get worked in more once he has time to absorb the playbook, get more integrated into that offense. But right now, it seems like it's the Daryl Henderson show. And then, of course, there's Van Jefferson, who didn't see a ton of targets, uh, but he was the downfield threat and clear number three wide receiver for this team. And remember, we expect Stafford to be able to throw deep more than we saw from Jared Goff. So Van Jefferson, a big play threat that I would keep uh, you know, on your watch list with the upside to win weeks if he scores those long touchdowns. He certainly has that upside. Um, but for me, Woods and Cup are, are clearly above. It's going to depend on the week. Clearly, uh, they saw something in Chicago to keep Cup getting uh, getting plenty of targets and I believe two touchdowns. Um, maybe it's all that extra breakfast that, that he's eaten with Matt Stafford that we had to hear about 17 times. Right. I saw on Twitter someone saying, why did none of the beat reporters tell us in the preseason that these guys were having breakfast every single day together? Would have been good to and, know. Yeah. And what does Robert Woods have against breakfast? 
Yeah, I guess he's more of a night person, but uh, I digress here. Uh, let's move on to the Colts side. We saw Jonathan Taylor and Naomi Hines, who just got paid big money, combined for a whopping 45% target share from Wentz, who was constantly under pressure behind an injured offensive line here. Taylor's still the better bet as a back-end RB1 this week, but Hines shouldn't be overlooked either. Uh, I do think he'll catch pet plenty of catch, excuse me, catch plenty of passes again in Week 2. Uh, against this Rams D-line where Wentz is going to need to once again get the ball out quickly to his checkdown options here. And in the past game, Zach Pascal came out and did what he does best. Really what he's done his whole career, steal the pass game production in, in, in Indianapolis while staying virulently underappreciated by the whole community. I'm not saying to start him. I'm just saying that you should not have drafted Michael Pittman. And for now, the tight ends are a non-factor, but that may change if Wentz finds a rhythm. Of course, we've seen him be plenty productive with Zach Ertz, but uh, Indy does rotate their tight ends around a little bit different than he's used to uh, back in his Ertz days. Yeah, you know, Zach Zach Pascal's on our waiver wire list, and he's not an exciting option. He's not some elite athlete, but, you know, I think he's not going to be a standalone uh, value per se week to week, but I do think that he takes away value from Pittman and Campbell, who many were excited about after the T.Y. Hilton injury. Um, but we we saw that the Colts trust Pascal in that slot role, and it seems like Campbell has not done enough to change that. Uh, so kind of a muddy picture here. This whole team is still kind of teetering on the brink. We'll see if they actually get that first round pick for Carson Wentz or if it stays a second here. Uh, either way, I am going to take the Rams on the road. Give me the Rams. All right. The next game up, uh, a surprise loss for Buffalo in week one, and they will travel to face the Miami Dolphins on the road. Uh, the Bills offense looked downright bad against the tough Steelers defense. They're going to get another tough matchup uh, against that Dolphins defense. The big surprise, of course, was pregame Zach Moss being a healthy scratch, but uh, Los, do you think we're going to see Moss in week two active after Singletary fumbled twice against Pittsburgh? You know, I actually don't know if it's going to have much to do with Singletary's fumbles, honestly, because what came out was that they felt Burita was better than Moss. Now, I don't see Moss jumping the depth chart completely and, and seeing uh, Singletary going active, so I don't know how much we're really going to see change at the end of the day. I really don't see it mattering though. I, we're just going to see a dial back of the run game. They're not going to run the ball much at all. They were happy to chuck the ball around the field. And I think it's a winning recipe for them. Yeah. Uh, it's just hard to see any consistent production from any of the bills running backs with Josh Allen leading this pass happy offense. Um, I will say the one other note I want to bring up here. We saw Colby's with 13 targets, just one less than Diggs saw. Wow. Uh, Beasley, the clear number two option in this Buffalo pass attack as the slot guy. I've been talking about him all preseason. I don't know what else I can say at this point, but he should be 100% rostered, and he's not. He done good, man. He done good. All right, moving on to the Miami side here. I absolutely love Jalen Waddell for Dynasty. Loved what we saw from him in week one, but I'm not sure yet what this target share is going to look like with Will Fuller expected back from suspension. This coming week, I would advise caution with Waddle even after that big week one performance. Uh, this is a tough Bills secondary, even though he showed well in his rookie debut. And then the other thing to note here, Miles Gaskin. Uh, it, this is a committee backfield as we expected. The good news, though, is that Gaskin is the most utilized Dolphins running back as a receiver. So that does keep him in that back end RB2 range in PPR scoring. 
Yeah, Gaskins a running back too. And yeah, the wide receivers are too early to tell. Waddle has that upside, but Parker's too good to ignore here. And the pass game is not going to be high octane enough to lean into it all. I think the real winner at the end of the day is just Tua Baloa and Superflex once uh, Fuller does come back. Yeah, and you know you're not benching Josh Allen, but I, I could see this being another low-scoring game from both sides. Another defensive matchup here. I am going to pick the Bills on the road, but I think this is kind of a toss-up. I mean, it becomes a toss-up after we saw how Buffalo played last week, but they'll get their act together. Um, granted, inter- inter-conference, interdivisional matchups are always tough. Um, give me the Bills. Uh, I, I could have just said Bills and moved on. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. I mean, the, the more insight, the better, and uh, we'll stay in the AFC East for this next matchup, the New England Patriots at the New York Jets. Uh, not a ton to say about this one, but talking once again about that running back by committee in New England, both Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson fumbled in their loss to Miami in week one. So it's really anyone's guess what the backfield split's going to look like in week two. Uh, as far as we know right now, I-, I think that Harris is still the lead back in what should be a pretty great game script uh, with the Patriots projected to win this one. Playing from ahead, I expect a lot of carries once again for Harris, but he is a risk-reward as a high-end RB3. Hopefully he can punch in a touchdown. I do advocate that Ramondre Stevenson should be added to fantasy benches just in case Belichick goes full scorched earth and starts shuffling things around. I don't know why we're not talking about James White at all. He, he had seven targets. He was a non-factor in the preseason. He was essentially undrafted. He may still end up the best uh, the best running back on this team by season's end. Yeah, he's rostered in a lot of leagues, which is why I, I mentioned Steve adding Stevenson over White, but certainly White should be rostered as well in PPR. We see that uh, much like uh, his predecessor, uh, not Cam Newton, but Tom Brady, Mac Jones is targeting James White a ton. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going to happen in this in this backfield. I mean, it's the same thing we've always had with these Bill Belichick running back situations. Um, it's messy. If you if you strike right, you may catch three touchdowns in a given week, but you also may strike less than five points. Yeah, and on the other side here, even without Stephon Gilmore, uh, I I do not love any of the Jets options here. I have Corey Davis as a high end wide receiver for this week. I would stay far far away from all the rest of the Jets in this game. Would you agree with that? I would. Uh, Wilson definitely got more comfortable as the game wore on here, but Belichick will almost undoubtedly take Corey Davis away from this game as really the only offensive option and threat on this team right now. Yeah, and Mekhi Becton out now, so uh, the blind side not very well protected in Week 2 for Zach Wilson. That is a recipe uh, for bad news against this Patriots front seven. There is. All right, so give me the Patriots on the road. I'll take the Patriots. All right, the next game up here, the San Francisco 49ers at the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, man, like I feel terrible for Mostert, but given his track record, I feel like it was really a matter of when, not if, he would miss some time. And here we are already in week one. Of course, uh, the surprise inactive, much like Zach Moss, we heard that Trey Sermon was inactive as a healthy scratch too. So Elijah Mitchell stepped in. Uh, he is, of course, the top waiver wire ad of the week. But I would say that I think Trey Sermon should be added in all leagues uh, just in case he was dropped or not drafted in a few shallow formats. Jamichael Hasty or Hasty as well. 
Um, might still be the number two, even if Trey Sermon is active, depending on what Kyle Shanahan uh, fancies here in week two. And finally, a lot of panic already over Brandon Ayuk, but certainly worth a hold. It's worrisome that Shanahan uh, had a lot of good things to say about Trent Sherfield after the game, but it does sound like the hamstring injury factored in a little bit for Ayuk, so I am still cautiously optimistic on him. I would hold uh, potentially buy low depending on the price. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I, I think that a lot of that, it, it's all just noise. You can't go nuts or panic about this game. It's just one week into the season. To me, Trey Sermon being inactive means less than nothing. Uh, Mitchell's a big special teams contributor, and Sermon is not. So it made absolute sense for Sermon not to be active here. He may even come in and be the top rusher and the best running back on this team this week if, if they do give him uh, the start, honestly. Uh, we, we've seen these San Francisco running backs especially produce much more than we've expected them to after being unactive, you know? Um, so, so I'm really not scared or concerned for him. Debo Samuel was a man completely on fire this week, near 200 yards. Uh, the IU stuff is concerning, I guess, but it, it's too early to, to, to be too worried about something like that. And he was not drafted to be a, a starter on most teams at this point. Um, so I, I'm not scared. All right. So a couple of tough questions for you here, Los. Sure. Let's say that right now uh, someone offers you Brandon Ayuk for Debo Samuel or vice versa. Who do you want for the rest of the season? Full PPR. Yeah, I mean, right now I've got to say Debo after that week. So I, I, I'm not worried about Ayuk, but I, I would get him on the cheap. I wouldn't go selling off assets for him. Yep, I agree. I, I think at this point there's similar upside but less risk with Debo Samuel. Um, yeah. And the number two tough question for you for the Niners, um, let's say hypothetically you, you drafted Trey Sermon, um, but after you know you heard the news on Sunday, you were able to add both Elijah Mitchell and Jamichael Hasty. So you have all three of these guys with Raheem Mostert out for eight weeks. Um, let's say you have two uh, or one or two really good running back options, like a you know um, let's say a Dalvin Cook or so. Who is your RB2 if you can only start one of the Niners running backs this week against Philadelphia? It's probably the wrong answer, but if I've got to do it, I've, I've got to go with with recency bias with uh, Elijah Mitchell. Okay. Yeah, I agree. Right now, uh, I would rank them Mitchell, Sermon, and Hasty, um, but yeah. I do think that Hasty still needs to be rostered because you never know. Yes, absolutely. All right, let's move on to the Eagles, who just absolutely destroyed Atlanta. Um, the Atlanta offense did not look good. We talked about that in the preseason a little bit, Los, where uh, Matt Ryan took a while to adapt to new offensive schemes, and their offensive line certainly didn't do him many favors here. But uh, Hertz looked great against that weak Falcons secondary. He should have another good game against this Niners defense that almost let the Lions tie it up in the fourth quarter. Uh, they lost their best cornerback, Jason Verrett, to a torn ACL. Uh, we'll see how much of a contribution Josh Norman actually makes now that he has a chance to step up here. Um, it's worth keeping an eye on Zach Ertz's hamstring issue too. Hopefully you're not relying on Ertz, but if he is out with that issue or even limited, then Dallas Goddard could become a strong tight end one start. Yeah, I, I was worried about that three-man committee in the backfield, but it looks like it's just Kenny Gainwell and Miles Sanders. Uh, that does retain some Sanders value as a running back, too. I'm not buying in on Ragor, uh, but Devontae Smith is a definite start here. And like you said, uh, if Ertz is limited, that helps Goddard tremendously, as, as well as Devontae Smith, in my opinion. Yeah, and 
this was one of the toughest picks for the week for me. Um, the Eagles just look so good. I understand the Atlanta defense is weak, but you know they have a pretty solid uh, offensive line. The Niners defense really looked bad against Detroit, and they lost their top cornerback. Playing at home, I think I'm leaning Philadelphia in this game. I guess you should call me Mung this week because I'm going with his with his uh, favorite team, the San Francisco 49ers. Um, I don't think San Francisco comes out. They did win that game this week, so let's not forget that. But I, I don't think they come out here and and uh, and lay another stinker or let or forget that they're playing an NFL game, even if they get up in this team up against this team. Um, I, I've got more faith in the coaching staff than to let that happen twice. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, I would certainly stay away from this one for any survivor picks, though. Um, for sure. The next game up here, uh, the Raiders at the Pittsburgh Steelers. Of course, we're seeing tonight a uh, pretty uninspiring uh, sh- offensive showing thus far from the Raiders. Uh, John Harbaugh came in talking about how they were going to focus on taking away Darren Waller because he felt sick that they had him on their practice squad and let him get away for nothing, pretty <laughs> much. Um, so certainly they've done a good job so far. Uh, we'll see, uh, Josh Jacobs surprise, uh, not surprisingly, I should say, um, not doing a whole lot against that Ravens defensive line here. Uh, anything you want to add about the Raiders? I expect more of the same here. Uh, they're, they're playing not so hot against a tough defense. I think next week they're going to play not so hot against a tough defense. All righty. Um, although I will say, I, I feel like the Steelers play down to their competition, so I'm always nervous about them when I'm picking them. That's true. That's a good point, but they are at home. Yes, that that is true. Um, On the Steelers' side here, uh, kind of a pro and a con for Najee Harris, I guess, that you know he got a huge, huge workload, saw at literally every single snap, um, it, the definition of a workhorse back, but the production was lacking against the tough Bills run defense. I am going back to him, even with those offensive line issues, though, uh, against this Raiders defense, who we've already seen Tyson Williams gash a little bit for a touchdown and more. Yeah, and from the wide receivers, we saw just about what we've, we've been hoping for. Plenty of targets for Juju, Deontay, and some big man plays from Chase Claypool going up, bringing it down. He's got to learn how to fall, man, or he's going to turn into Mike Williams 2.0 then. Uh, tonight, we're going to get to see a little more from this Raiders defense, but nothing has been all too inspiring. So I, I, I would not be shy to play any of the wide receivers or Najee here. Yep, I am going to take Pittsburgh at home. Yes, uh, Steelers will win. Next up, we have New Orleans Saints against the Carolina Panthers. And man, oh man, uh, Jameis Winston's agent should 100% be getting a ton of emails from LASIK companies all over the world right now uh, for Winston to be their spokesperson. He looked just stunning against the Packers. Should have another strong showing against a pretty poor Carolina defense here. Marcus Callaway was quiet with Jair Alexander covering him in large part, but I would expect a rebound for Callaway in week two against the Panthers here. I'm not too worried about him just yet. Uh, Also worth noting that Juwan Johnson got the two touchdowns from Jameis Winston, but Adam Troutman did uh, see a lot more targets than him with a more than 20% target share. A couple of drops, but uh, Juwan Johnson may be worth a look if he starts to earn more playing time with some apparent chemistry with Winston in the red zone. I agree. Um, he, he does look good. I do think he does look like a better long-term solution than, than Adam Troutman. Uh, as for Callaway, I'll believe it when I see it. Um, Winston, he did have a nice game, but 
Green Bay did dig themselves a, a hole, and he wasn't really asked to do all too much. Now, granted, I don't know if he'll be asked to do all too much here unless Christian McCaffrey really uh, catches on fire, which he did this past week. Uh, Elvin Kamara was fairly limited in this new offense compared to what we're used to, just three catches. His day was saved by a touchdown. Uh, he did lead the league with 21 touchdowns last year, so but I am still slightly worried about his production and, and the Saints' ability to come on here. I, I think this was really a product of that Saints defense putting the offense in tremendous situations. I mean, five touchdowns with like 150 yards, come on. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about CMC because he is still CMC. We saw that ridiculous, almost 100-yard receiving line for him. Um, you know, we saw, I think we just, we didn't get to see much of a healthy McCaffrey last year, so people are forgetting just how dominant he is when he's healthy on the field as a workhorse. Um, it's getting hard. Well, he, was still, he was still the number one overall, so I don't know how much we really forgot. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard some arguments against him uh for him to not be the 101, I guess. So, um, either way, uh, you read too much online. <laughs> uh, moving on to the wide receivers here, uh, it, it's hard to t- to rank these Carolina receivers. Uh, Robbie Anderson, it's starting to look like he's getting used more on downfield routes again, like he did, um, you know, early on last year before they started using him more underneath. <sighs> It, it, he might be the most boomer bust now if DJ Moore is getting those shorter routes and then Terrace Marshall's out of the slot here. I think right now I'd rank them more. And then, you know, Marshall and Anderson are probably a toss up each week, depending on who scores a touchdown. Yeah, to me, it, it stays just more Anderson and then uh, and then Marshall. But um, the, the difference is that we, they don't need to convert Robbie Anderson into an underneath provider anymore they've got Terrace Marshall they've got Christian McCaffrey back who had 200 yards the other day um so that role for Robbie Anderson is just not really in the game plan right now unless something unfortunately may happen at CMC which hopefully it doesn't this year um he's back to uh, that production that he had with Sam Darnold back on on the Jets big deep connecting shots he had the one catch a big time touchdown uh just not somebody that I'd put in my starting lineup in a, in a season long or anything right now yeah, and I don't feel great about any of these wide receivers against New Orleans, although I will say that losing uh, Marshawn Lattimore is huge for them. Um, yeah. They literally just extended him, <laughs> you know, for crazy. Uh, yeah, a $100 million contract, basically. So Totally crazy. Sam Darnold lucks out a little bit here, but I'd still avoid him. Uh, and even without Lattimore, I'm going to lean the Saints on the road. Yeah, I think the Saints defense is going to take care of business here. I mean, enough to to let them get the win. Yep. Moving on to the Denver Broncos at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams uh, split the snap share right down the middle, but Gordon ended up ripping off that big touchdown run. I like both as flex plays here in a game that the Broncos should win uh, pretty handily, in my opinion. Uh, I have Gordon ranked slightly higher, but uh, before that 70-yard touchdown run, uh, it was really uninspiring from both of them, so I I would not confidently uh, start Gordon necessarily. Um, Of course, the big news, too, uh, with Jerry Judy being out for six to eight weeks uh, with that high ankle sprain, uh, maybe frees up more target share for Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, and KJ Hamler. Of course, we saw Noah Fan already have more than 20% of the targets, so he's a great option. But overall... I expect Bridgewater to continue spreading the ball around, so I don't know that Hamler or Patrick are necessarily a priority waiver ads here. 
Yeah, that's what we saw with Teddy last year, but we also saw that Tim Patrick is more than capable. I do like him as a cheap ad. Certainly would not spend, you know, all of my fab on him or anything, but a couple bucks here. I, I don't expect many people to buy in on him. So something about Tim Patrick just does not lead fantasy managers to uh, to spend high on him or even rush to the way to wire for him. Don't know why that is. Just sort of spin that way. Uh, Sutton's going to have some nice games. I think this is going to be one of them. Yeah, you know, Patrick is a great contested catch guy. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Mike Williams in some ways. Uh, yeah. But we'll see what happens here with Bridgewater. Certainly uh, they call a great game against the Giants, and I expect them to lead here, so maybe not as as many passes in general. Um, on the other side, though, uh, you know, I recently replied to a question on Twitter uh, cautioning that while James Robinson can be a RB2 option this year, we should not expect that same kind of workhorse role that he had in 2020. And we saw already in week one that Carlos Hyde was heavily involved as a runner against Houston. And I don't project that to change barring an injury. Uh, I would not want to start either running back against a very tough Broncos defense. Uh, and then a surprising stat at wide receiver here in week one, DJ Chark was actually second in air yards uh, with 199 behind only Tyree Kill. Now, that doesn't make me feel good about starting him against the Broncos uh, or any of the Jaguars wide receivers for that matter, but Shark being the downfield target for Lawrence here keeps him on that boom-bust wide receiver three radar after his stock fell a little this preseason with that finger surgery. If I had to pick one here, I think it's Chenault this week in the slot, probably in garbage time. Uh, What do you think? Yeah, I was highly concerned for Chark heading into the season. I'm still concerned. Uh, that was catch-up mode versus Houston. So, if anything, I just have less comfort with Marvin Jones and probably would only be looking at Chanel. All right, I'm going to take Denver here. Yeah, Denver should win this one. Okay, that leads us into our Sunday mid-afternoon slate, starting with the Minnesota Vikings at the Arizona Cardinals. And, man, that Minnesota offensive line did not give Cousins Anytime the entire game. Um, I will say that, you know, their defense didn't look great either. So KJ Osborne uh, might be a name to keep on your radar here. He was the clear number three wide receiver. Uh, Maybe we see a lot more 11 personnel with Irv Smith out for the year. I do think that if their defense continues to be this bad, that Osborne is going to be a flex worthy play in PPR formats due to volume if Kirk Cousins is going to be throwing a ton. Yeah, for me, I don't think much changed after week one, uh, despite the loss. You're starting to cook Jefferson and Thielen. I'm not personally spending any fab on uh, Osborne. I think Conklin was more than fine uh, instead of Irv Smith. Um, I, yeah, I, this is not a high-octane passing offense, nor is it a high-volume passing offense, so I, I'm avoiding it. Yeah, and certainly Osborne is lower on our list of waiver wire ads at the wide receiver position, but something to keep in mind, especially in deeper formats here, course Arizona walloped Tennessee the wide receivers behind DeAndre Hopkins all split target share but Christian Kirk seemed to be a preferred guy out of the slot for Murray uh maybe Rondale Moore eventually pushes him for that position but for now I do think that Kirk could have boom bust potential as a wide receiver for he's someone that I was high on going into last season and just didn't show up so maybe this is the the late breakout uh I, I don't know that I would bet confidently on any of the Cardinals wide receivers not named Hopkins for week two but I think the best bet might be Kirk right now 
I'm fine with Kirk here. I, I, I think I'm picking up your post-type post sleepers. Uh, you're giving up too early on this one. I told you, out of the slot, this guy is going to be very good. He's a great football player. And what we see in week one, two touchdowns. Boom, shakalaka. Uh, as for the running game, we, they do not rush the ball well enough on this team to consider James Conner. Uh, I think Jay, uh, Edmonds remains a pretty decent back-end running back, too, for right now, but not very exciting on that side of the ball. Yeah, you know, the worry was that maybe we don't see a ton of goal line work for Edmonds, and that continues to be the concern. Uh, but either way, uh, I expect good, good things from Arizona once again in week two, and I will be taking them. Yeah, I will take the Cardinals. Next game up, the Atlanta Falcons at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, I wouldn't panic on Kyle Pitts. I uh, wasn't as high as consensus on him heading into the season, but I do think that the opportunity was there, which bodes well for a week two bounce back. Uh, much like we talked about with Najee Harris, uh, you know, just getting the workload that he did is encouraging for Pitts, who played on 71% of the snaps. And he tied with Calvin Ridley in leading the team with a 23% target share. They used him out of the slot, out wide. Uh, Atlanta just sucked on Sunday, but I expect them to be down big uh, to Tampa Bay by the second half of this game. So plenty of garbage time, I think, to go around for Pitts and Ridley. Uh, I'm still starting Pitts as a top 10 tight end option. And then don't hate too much on Russell Gage, who I think is an upside wide receiver four play with the Bucks uh, slot cornerback, the nickel guy, Sean Murphy Bunting, out for a while. And don't forget about the running back. Mike Davis should be a fine start here, too, I think. The team will need to throw off him to keep up with Tampa. Davis had six targets already in game one. All right. On the Bucks side here, uh, you know, you're starting everybody pretty much uh, outside of the running backs. But the big news here, Brock seeing a high target share and snap share, finally being utilized as a receiver, not just as a blocker, which we saw him for much of the year uh, in 2020, I would not expect multiple touchdowns every game, but even 70% you know, of prime Gronk in this offense can be a strong mid-tier tight end one. He should be rostered in 100% of leagues. He's not out there in a ton, but uh, should definitely be in 100% now. And by the way, in case you were worried about Mike Evans, Tom Brady already posted on his Instagram story about his friend Mike Evans. So I think <laughs> he knows, we all know that Evans had a quiet game Against pretty good coverage from the Dallas cornerback Trayvon Diggs uh, for most of week one. So I expect uh, big things for Evans in uh, week two against Atlanta as Brady gets him back on track here. Brady does like to uh, score a lot of points against Atlanta, that's for sure. Totally agree on Gronk. Evans is going to be fine. I don't think Leonard Fournette's going to see seven targets again, but I do expect around 15, maybe maybe 18 carries, which definitely has value and potential upside in this offense against Atlanta. Um, the defense's uh, goal line focus is going to be Gronk and Evans, so they certainly can't stack the box against Fournette. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I think that you know both Fournette and um, Ronald Jones had snafus in week one. Fournette, of course, with that bobbled. Uh, catch attempt that led to an interception in Jones with the lost fumble. If I'm projecting this backfield right now, let me know what you think about this, Los. I still expect Fournette to see the most carries on the ground. Maybe Ronald Jones is out of the doghouse and gets a few carries in the second half if they're up big. And then I really do think that Giovanni Bernard is still that pass-catching guy. I, I don't know that they were confident in him uh, w coming off of that high ankle sprain, which is why he got somewhat sparing usage. 
in week one, but I do think that he's still the PPR guy in some games, especially in shootouts, maybe not against Atlanta this week. Um, So for me, it's Fournette on the ground, uh, Giovanni Bernard through the air, and then Ronald Jones in garbage time. Yeah, totally. I, I think this is a sneaky week for sneaky week for Fournette, and I just wouldn't play the other two guys. I don't see them having any reason to risk Giovanni Bernard's health um, this week. Let let him get another week in um, for for a team that they will really need him against. Uh, keep him healthy towards the end of the year, and that's how you win Super Bowls. Not even that. I just don't know how much Brady's going to need to check down against the Falcons. Right. No, agreed. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to throw to Fournette nearly at all. All right. So I will take the Bucks at home. Yeah, Buccaneers. The next game up, though, Dallas at the LA Chargers. Certainly was a valiant effort from Dak Prescott. Uh, if a couple things had gone their way with Greg Zerline, they could have come out on top in week one. So don't underestimate these Cowboys. Uh, that being said, Michael Gallup is out for a while with that injury. Uh, we saw that Cedric Wilson was the guy who stepped up uh, as the number three wide receiver. So he should be on your radar, especially in deeper leagues. But, of course, this also means that Lamb and Cooper could just be fed every game, both of them with top five upside, uh, if Dak just starts hyper-targeting them. And, of course, well, you know I've seen a lot of this sentiment already, but certainly don't panic on Zeke. He should be okay when he's not running into the brick wall that is the Tampa Bay front seven. I'm not so interested in the wide receiver three here. I think the Cowboys are probably going to have a replacement wide receiver on the roster who just was not on the roster after roster when Michael Gallup was healthy. Um, I, I just expect the run game to be more successful. I expect them to continue to use both of the tight ends. And I don't expect Dak to be having to throw the football as much um, in general. I, I think them, I think they're going to be able to rely on Zeke a little more against uh, defensive lines that aren't named the Buccaneers. And on the Chargers side here, Justin Herbert looked pretty great. Uh, had a bunch of drops from his receivers, but they came out on top at the end. And the real, the big story was that the offensive line barely allowed pressure uh, against a very good Washington defensive line. I think there are big things coming in a potential shootout against the Cowboys for Herbert, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams this week. I want to know what happened to, to Austin Eckler. Zero targets in the passing game. Was this precautionary with, I believe it was the hamstring he was finishing the preseason with, or is this the new game plan? Because uh, if this is the future, then uh, the time to sell Austin Eckler as a, as a first-round type running back is right now. Um, not, not that I'm saying sell low on him, but if he's not going to be catching passes, try to get equal value plus on him. Yeah, t- to me, this is like a, sort of what happened to Iuke. I think they wanted to be you know, somewhat cautious with him coming off of that hamstring injury. Um, hopefully, we'll see this trend change a little bit in week two, but uh, personally, I am not selling Eckler just yet. Yeah, give it one more week, absolutely, but just zero targets in one week. I, I mean, that doesn't scream hamstring to me. He rushed the ball 15 times. I mean, you, you use your hamstring just as much doing that. Yeah, well, we'll see. Um, I, You know, this is another toss-up this week that I had trouble picking, so I am going to lean the home team Chargers in this one. Yeah, that's what I did. I was hoping maybe to, to catch some ground on you here. I don't like being down early in our in our pick em, but uh, I don't think I can pick against the Chargers after last week right now. Oh, you're only down three right now with the Monday night game in flux, so we'll see. Not Certainly not uh, an insurmountable lead by any means. Yeah, but didn't we both pick Baltimore? 
Oh, yes, that is true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let's move on then to uh, the Tennessee Titans at the Seattle Seahawks. And man, oof. I I wouldn't recommend, I would not recommend benching A.J. Brown or Julio Jones just yet unless you have some really good alternatives. But the Titans looked rough against the Cardinals. Tannehill was under constant pressure, five sacks for Chandler Jones. And it's never a good sign when Chester Rogers is leading your team in receiving when you have Brown and Julio Jones. So hopefully the Titans are going to figure out a little bit better game plan against Seattle this week. I will say, though, that the one bright spot that was encouraging was Derrick Henry seeing four targets in catch-up mode against the Cardinals. Uh, My biggest concern in the preseason was that the Titans' awful secondary was going to put him into these shootout scenarios with a lot of pass-heavy game scripts, and then Derrick Henry not being used as a receiver. But as long as he continues being involved in the passing game, that's going to help both his PPR floor and ceiling. Yeah, um, that would definitely lock his uh, top five running back status in if, if, he, if coaching does decide to use him in the passing game. It's what we've needed all along with him. Um, it's one week. Don't panic on this team. Uh, Tannehill had a down day. The team looked dreadful, but his, his legs still gave you 17 points, which likely did not tank your team, considering if you started him, that, that means you did not take an early quarterback. So you made up for those points, hopefully, with, uh, with shrewd drafting at wide receiver. Yep, although uh, certainly if you did take a quarterback a little bit earlier and you got Russell Wilson, you're happy right now because he was cooking against the Colts. I expect much of the same against this pretty awful Titans secondary, starting him, Lockett, and Metcalf, Uh, although I would check in on Lockett and Metcalf as both were in and out of the game with calf injuries, but it sounds like they should be okay, but uh, monitor those practice statuses just in case. And then Chris Carson looked pretty good as well should continue being started as a solid RB2 here. Hard to believe that all of that came on just 23 attempts. The the volume is scary, but the results are tremendous. Yeah, and it's hard to pick the Tennessee Titans after what we saw from them in no, week one. No way. So give me the Seahawks here. Yeah, Seahawks. All right, so that brings us to the Sunday night football game, which should be a great, great matchup. We got to see the Chiefs against the Browns in week one, and we see another potential playoff showdown in week two with the Chiefs traveling to Baltimore. Um, You know, I don't know that there's a whole lot to say about Tyreek Hill, Patrick Holmes, and Travis Kelsey. Um, You're starting all those guys. So let's talk about CEH, who uh, was a workhorse because Daryl Williams got one carry and the rest was all Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He also saw a 9% target share, which isn't the highest with, Patrick Mahomes usually slinging it and not checking it down as much, but it was good to see that Edwards Alaire was the main running back, both in the running game and the passing game, even getting used on a wheel route on a crucial third down. The only problem was that all this came against the top five Cleveland defense. And while Baltimore doesn't figure it to be much easier as a matchup in week two, uh, again, I'm encouraged by CEH's usage. Maybe we don't get the top five ceiling from CEH, but as of now, he's still a very solid RB2 with RB1 upside. The fact that they went back to him to start this season is very, very encouraging. Um, you know, I guess the best we can hope for is that maybe he doesn't score a couple touchdowns and then we can I can go buy him on the cheap. Yeah, we'll see. Certainly their schedule eases up a little bit uh, after this early season run. What are um, they trying to do to the Chiefs this early in the season? Just, just 
have defenses just demolish them. It's not it's not the right thing to do. It's just just yet another way that this league is set up strictly for Tom Brady to be successful. It, it's really disgusting. I hate to see it. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll see about that. Uh, certainly the Chiefs were not demolished in by any means by the Browns. And, I mean, how, how many points do you have to be up against the Chiefs to really feel comfortable? Like 35, 40? Yeah, 38, I think. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, looking at the Ravens so far tonight, Tyson Williams looks pretty solid. Uh, Lamar Jackson is doing some Lamar Jackson things. But overall, a, a pretty quiet night so far for the Ravens. I saw a nice big catch out of Sammy Watkins, but also uh, some good plays from from uh, Marquise Brown. So um, this this coming week is that revenge game for Sammy Watkins. So get hyped. Maybe he's delaying it for one week. Hmm. We'll see about that. But uh, so far, I am unenthused by what I've seen out of Baltimore, and I am going to take the Chiefs on the road. Yes, uh, give me the Chiefs. All right, that leads us to the final matchup for Week 2, Monday Night Football, the Detroit Lions at the Green Bay Packers. One of my big misses this preseason, so it seems so far, was DeAndre Swift. I was concerned you know, about his workload with Jamal Williams in town and then also coming off of that groin injury in the preseason. Uh, but as of now, it looks like both Williams and Swift could be pretty viable options here. They split the rushing share about 50-50, but Swift played on 63 snaps compared to just 32 for Williams. So clearly the lead guy here. Both of them, though, uh, saw double-digit targets, which is huge in the PPR scoring. And with Detroit's top cornerback, Jeff Okuda, now lost to an Achilles injury, there should be plenty of negative game scripts for both of these running backs to be solid starts in PPR. I've got Swift as a mid-range RB2 with upside, and then Williams as an RB3 with some upside here. Yeah, I was right there with you with Swift. Uh, the groin was concerning, but I guess not as concerning as, uh, as they made it sound. But I think we're spot on with Jamal Williams. Nine carries, nine targets. This is not going to last, I don't think, uh, too far into the season. But if you're hurting for an RB, go, uh, go ahead and roll with Jamal in the often-touted revenge game. Remember, he played for the Packers until, uh, until just now. For now... Uh, all of the wide receivers are complete non-factors. Yeah, that is true. Um, I, I don't think that we need to panic about Green Bay just yet. Uh, they've faced up against a better-than-expected Saints defense in Week 1, and I do think that it, it's a little funny but fitting that the Saints uh, extended Marshawn Lattimore to a $100 million deal just a few hours after he shut down Devontae Adams. It was kind of like, all right, yeah, like, we believe in you now. <laughs> <laughs> Right. That was kind of like the, the final test he had to pass before they, they signed him to that. Um, but in general, I am expecting a bounce back for Rodgers, Jones, and Adams after getting humiliated in week one against this soft uh, Lions defense. Yeah, I've got nothing to add here. They should come out swinging at home. Uh, the one thing I will say, though, I, I don't think that this is a lock by any means because that Detroit offensive line does look pretty solid. Uh, could be a close game if they start pounding the rock against a, a pretty susceptible Packers run defense. Uh, all that being said, though, I, I will take the Packers at home. Uh, yeah, give me the Packers. I, I'll always root for a loss. Don't worry about that. But uh, no, there's no way they're losing to Detroit. Yeah, I saw a conspiracy theory that uh, Aaron Rodgers is now trying to destroy the Packers from within. <laughs> but uh, well, that's interesting because that would just give them an early draft pick and a way to replace him with, uh, you know, trade off Jordan Love for for some for some scrap metal and then draft a uh, quarterback early next year. 
Yeah, I certainly don't uh, don't believe that at all. But uh, all right, let's move on to some injury news. We'll kick it off with the quarterbacks. Uh, The only one of note really for now is Ryan Fitzpatrick with that hip subluxation. Uh, He is expected to go on IR. Uh, There's speculation that this is similar to what Tua suffered in college, though not quite as severe. But of course, Fitzpatrick is 38 years old, so that healing time is uh, a little bit extended for him. He's expected to miss multiple weeks, potentially season-ending. We'll wait to hear on more about that. He can be dropped in pretty much all one-quarterback formats, uh, and I don't know that he's necessarily a priority hold, even in Superflex or 2QB leagues. Certainly not. Uh, As for the running backs, we, of course, know about the big injury. Raheem Mostert, a couple plays into the game with a knee cartilage injury. He's on the IR for now. He'd been dealing with knee soreness in training camp. Now he's expected to be out for about eight weeks. Um, Timetable could always lengthen, though. Mitchell, Sermon, and Hasty should all be rostered until we know what San Francisco is going to do with the backfield. And then in Seattle, Rashad Penny came out with a calf injury. He's going to be out multiple weeks likely to go to the IR. It sounds like Penny aggravated the calf injury is going to be up for a bit. You were not starting him anyway outside of super deep leagues, but Alex Collins now becomes the interesting name as the potential number two behind Chris Carson and a handcuff with upside. And for the wide receivers, we've got Jerry Judy with that high ankle sprain. He's going to be out four to six weeks minimum. Uh, and then uh, it sounds like, you know, if you have an IR spot, Judy is a fine stash, but I don't think he's a must-hold if you don't. You're losing him for almost half the year, if not more, and it's possible that he's not 100% even once he's back later this season. Um, you know, Even then, he's returning to that crowded Denver receiver core, which we talked about with Sutton and Hamler and Patrick. And then Odell Beckham coming off of that ACL recovery, questionable for Week 2. A surprising inactive in week one against the Chiefs after reportedly looking good in practice. But, you know, it is somewhat concerning that apparently he didn't feel like he could play significant snaps after working out pregame. Anyone's guess right now whether he's going to suit up for week two. So watch those practice reports on Thursday and Friday for Beckham. Brandon Ayuk with the hamstring. He's probable to play. Uh, That's not the concern. (laughs) The concern is how much usage he is going to see, uh, assuming he is active. The Niners reportedly did not want to risk him aggravating that preseason hamstring strain, but he was being used on punt return duty, so there's some questions too, whether he just dropped a little bit on the depth chart with Trent Sherfield showing up well. For now, he's certainly a hold on the bench, but probably more of an upside risk-reward flex play until we see his usage get back to what we were used to seeing last year. Tyro Williams has a concussion. He's questionable for week two. Detroit's passing game seemed to go through Hawkinson and the running backs anyway, with no clear target leader among the wide receivers. Maybe Quintus Cephas and Trinity Benson will see more targets if Williams were to miss a game, but you're not starting those guys outside of DFS or very deep leagues anyway. And finally, D. Eskridge with a concussion as well. He's also questionable. Again, this doesn't move the needle a ton for fantasy as Freddie Swain stepped in as the number three in Seattle, but Really, the targets are going to continue going primarily to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. 
As for the tight end injuries, Evan Ingram with a cap strain is doubtful. It sounds like Ingram's injury is going to require a multi-week absence. Unless we see him log consecutive full practices later this week, make other plans at tight end for another week or two. Hopefully you weren't relying too much on that Giants offense to begin with. And Zach Ertz with the hamstring, he's probable right now. He was in and out of the game with the hamstring. If Ertz were to miss time, that would definitely elevate Goddard's fantasy floor and ceiling. If he is a go, both are stuck in that tight end two range. All right, and we'll move on to the waiver wire ads here, starting with the quarterbacks. Uh, Jameis Winston is the top player that you should be looking at. He was lights out in that blowout win against the Packers, and he should find similar success against the Panthers secondary. Uh, That struggles uh, if their front seven cannot generate pressure, which they probably won't against that stout New Orleans offensive line. Teddy Bridgewater also, uh, he played well against a solid Giants defense and should be even better against a Jaguars secondary that just made Tyrod Taylor look like Patrick Mahomes. Even with Judy out, Bridgewater has plenty of weapons in Sutton, Hamler, Patrick, and Fant. Finally, or not finally, but next we have Taylor Heineke with Ryan Fitzpatrick out for multiple weeks. Heineke could be a serviceable QB2 uh, with some upside considering his rushing floor and ceiling. Fitzpatrick won the starting job in camp, but Heineke could actually be a better fantasy option with the same weapons but added mobility. And finally, we have Mac Jones, who looked good in his NFL debut against the tough Dolphins defense, and he's going to get a much easier opponent this week in the Jets. The Patriots should continue to run a lot, especially near the goal line, but Jones showed chemistry with Aguilar in the opener and could pop for a couple big touchdown plays here. A couple running backs on the wire, uh, wire, Elijah Mitchell with Raheem Mostert on IR. Mitchell figures to, again, lead the San Francisco backfield in touches, though Trey Sermon should be rostered as well if you're in one of the few leagues where he's out there. San Fran will continue using a committee backfield, but the upside is definitely there. Either way, Mitchell should be the top waiver wire priority this week, even if you feel good about your current running backs. Number two is Jamichael Hasty, also in San Francisco. Elijah Mitchell was the lead back after Mostert left the game versus Detroit, but Hasty saw some work and punched in a touchdown. And he was involved as a receiver as well. Trey Sermon will likely be active now with Mostert out, but there's a chance that Hasty could retain the number two running back role without Mostert. Ramondre Stevenson in New England. Harris looked good overall versus Miami, but both he and Stevenson fumbled, contributing to that loss. For now, it should be assumed that Harris is still the lead back, but you never know with Bill Belichick. Stevenson might not contribute week two, but he's the home run swing if you want to take a shot. Kenneth Gainwell in Philadelphia. After Boston Scott was the number two running back behind Sanders in the preseason, he saw zero touches in week one with Kenny Gainwell instead of coming into spell Sanders. He even had a receiving touchdown nullified by penalties, so but have had two touchdowns on the day. He's the new Naeem Hines for Nick Sirianni and will be a deep flex play going forward with added upside if Sanders were to miss any time. James White. White was a favorite target of Mac Jones in his premiere, seeing seven targets alongside Aguilar behind only Myers' nine targets. He remains a PPR running back three or flex play who will be volume dependent most weeks. Tony Jones in New Orleans. Not sure why Jones is rostered in so few leagues, even when Latavius Murray was getting drafted in the 10th round in the preseason. Jones is essentially an upgraded Latavius Murray who will be a touchdown dependent running back four as the number two behind Kamara with running back two upside if Kamara were to any time. David Johnson and Mark Ingram in Houston. Ingram was the clear lead back with the majority of the carries, but I would still prioritize David Johnson 
of the two as the receiving back. Houston jumped out to an early lead, allowing for the run-heavy game script versus an awful Jacksonville defense. But expect more pass-heavy game scripts playing from behind with Cleveland, Buffalo, and New England as three of the next four opponents. In Jacksonville, Carlos Hyde, if there were any doubt left that James Robinson wasn't going to be the workhouse workhorse he was last year, week one gave us the definitive answer. Hyde will be heavily involved as the primary runner with Robinson as the receiving back. We'll see who gets the goal line carries, but Hyde could be a touchdown dependent flex this year and has relevance in deeper leagues. And Justin Jackson and Larry Roundtree in Los Angeles. Austin Eckler looks fine on Sunday, but hamstring injuries are easy to aggravate. Keep an eye on Eckler, and if you have the bench space, Jackson and Roundtree could be worth stashing for now. And at wide receiver, we're going to kick it off with Cole Beasley, who we've talked about on the podcast multiple times in the preseason. He was the clear number two wide receiver with that slot role for Buffalo and saw 13 targets against Pittsburgh, just one less than Diggs' 14. And by the way, Emmanuel Sanders and Gabriel Davis combined for 13 targets. Beasley should be rostered in pretty much every league, and yet he's widely available. You guys should go out and change that. Sterling Shepard, who we talked about. There were reports in the offseason that Shepard looked like the best Giants wide receiver, and clearly Daniel Jones trusts him, especially with the offensive line failing to block long enough for Jones to connect with Galladay downfield. Shepard should be a decent wide receiver three or flex play in PPR. Nelson Aguilar. Jacoby Myers is rostered in the majority of leagues, but Aguilar is still the downfield threat with big play upside, as we saw in Las Vegas last season, and the Jets' secondary is still very much a work in progress. We saw Robbie Anderson burn them for a 57-yard touchdown in Week 1, and Aguilar should be a boom-bust flex option this week with a pretty good matchup. Darnell Mooney. Mooney and Cole Komet each saw seven targets on Sunday night with Allen Robinson blanketed in coverage. Mooney should be another touchdown or bust flex play here, but has a much friendlier matchup against that Bengals secondary. KJ Osborne, who we discussed, Osborne was the clear number three wide receiver for Minnesota with nine targets against Cincinnati. Uh, He saw a similar target share to Thielen, who had 10, and Justin Jefferson, who also had nine. Minnesota could use more 11 personnel here this year after losing Irv Smith, so Osborne should be on your radar as a potential PPR darling. Van Jefferson, uh, who often was available in the late rounds this preseason, the potential number three wide receiver for the Rams and deep threat for Matthew Stafford. And we saw Jefferson already get hit uh, for a big, long touchdown on Sunday night against the Bears. He may be inconsistent week to week, but should be a decent flex play and has wide receiver two upside if Cup or Woods were to miss any time. Uh, all the all the Arizona wide receivers, starting with Christian Kirk, prioritized than Rondell Moore and A.J. Green. Kirk saw the two touchdowns on Sunday against the Titans, but there wasn't a dedicated number two behind Hopkins. Moore is the most explosive option, but Kirk may be worth adding if he continues to hold on to the slot role uh, with some chemistry built up with Kyler Murray. All three of these guys are going to be relevant if the Cardinals con- continue playing at such a quick pace and the offense keeps clicking. Zach Pascal, who isn't an elite talent, but the Colts uh, have liked him for some time now as their slot receiver. Um, Pittman and Campbell are arguably better athletic talents, uh, even following T.Y. Hilton's injury, but Zach Pascal seems to have a hold on that slot job for now. It would not be wise to expect multiple touchdowns for him every week, but he was the most targeted Colts receiver in week one and showed chemistry with Carson Wentz. 
And finally, we've got Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler with Judy out for half the year. Both of these guys are worth a look. Patrick is more of a jump ball 50-50 receiver in the red zone with Hamler being the deep threat. Uh, by the way, Hamler did drop a 50 or so yard touchdown on Sunday, so the upside is certainly there for him. Even so, I would prioritize Patrick over Hamler for now uh, with Bridgewater potentially passing more aggressively downfield. With tight ends, uh, we have Rob Gronkowski, Tampa Bay. He played on 88% of the snaps versus Dallas on Thursday night, and he ran 37 routes instead of primarily being used as a blocker like much of last season. If Gronkowski's healthy and conditioned a full year after coming back from retirement, he's a top 10 tight end at least, if not top 5-ish. He's rostered in most leagues, but needs now to be rostered in 100% of leagues. Juwan Johnson in New Orleans. Adam Troutman saw six targets versus Green Bay compared to Johnson's three. But two of Johnson's targets came in the end zone, and he converted both for touchdowns. It remains to be seen whether Johnson is the preferred red zone target between the New Orleans tight ends, but he's worth a look. David Njoku, Cleveland. Njoku was utilized on quite a few of Cleveland's passing plays versus Kansas City, though it's hard to say how much of that was due to Odell Beckham being out. For now, though, it seems like Njoku might be the preferred pass-catching option at tight end over Cooper if you're desperate for tight end help. James O'Shaughnessy, Jacksonville. He ran 40 routes on Sunday, which was second among tight ends behind only TJ Hawkinson. With how bad Jacksonville's defense looked, the Jaguars could find themselves in shootouts on a weekly basis. You could do worse at tight end with O'Shaughnessy potentially being a volume option. And Dalton Schultz and Blake Jarwin in Dallas. Schultz and Jarwin split time versus Tampa on Thursday with Schultz seeing six targets to Jarwin's four. Neither is a reliable option, but both are touchdown-dependent tight end two plays in what should be an efficient Dallas offense if you're desperate. And at the defense position, uh, we're starting off with the Cleveland Browns defense. The Texans looked great against the bottom of the barrel Jacksonville defense in week one, but a rude awakening is in store for them heading to Cleveland in week two. Don't be scared off of the Browns' top 10 defense just because Patrick Mahomes torched them. He does that to every defense. New England defense. Even without Stephon Gilmore, the Patriots have a decent secondary led by J.C. Jackson and a stout front seven. The Jets had trouble protecting Zach Wilson from the Panthers and just lost their left tackle, Mekhi Becton, for four to six weeks. Belichick will be out for a statement win after that close loss to Miami. The Arizona defense, with the Cardinals much better than expected, uh, or potentially the Titans much worse than expected. Probably a bit of both, but Chandler Jones showed out in week one, and even though he probably won't get five sacks in back-to-back games, Kirk Cousins was under duress constantly against Cincinnati in week one and doesn't figure to get a break in week two against this Cardinals D-line. The Seattle defense. Tennessee's offensive line struggled to protect Tannehill in week one against Chandler Jones, and they're going to face another tough test against the Seahawks front seven that sacked Carson Wentz four times on Sunday. If Seattle jumps out to an early lead against the Swiss cheese Tennessee secondary, Tannehill could be in for another long day here. Certainly plenty of good options on the waiver wire after, at the end of week one. Do you think anybody is worth you know the big splash 50-plus percent of your fab this week? Uh, yeah, I think it's potentially Elijah Mitchell. Um, it's, it's a risk reward prospect because we do know that the Shanahan backfield is going to be unpredictable. And we know that Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to be back at some point and Mostert will be back. 
you know, at the midway point of the year, it sounds like, but you know, seven, eight games of RB two production, maybe more that that's worth a lot of fab. It certainly is. I just don't, I just don't trust that that's what's going to happen. Um, for me, the answer is no. I generally, there is somebody to, to make a splash on in week one because um, you don't know when it's going to happen. But but for me, he's just not it. I, I, I'm just not feeling it. I mean, if that's the case, you should at least spend a, a few bucks on Hasty then. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's a reasonable play. Yeah, and I've always been more of the philosophy that, you know, who knows, right? Uh, most of these right. waiver wire guys aren't going to help you much anyway. So if you do think that the potential is there, then I'm fine with taking my stabs early um, rather than hoping, you know, someone gets on waivers in week nine or 10 to help me more. Yes, the dollars are definitely worth more early in the season than they are in the mid and late in the season. And then they uh, bounce back, of course, in the uh, in the playoffs. Yep. Uh, all right. That's going to close out our week two preview show. Uh, hopefully you guys are 1-0, and but even if you're 0-1, don't worry. Plenty of help available on the waiver wire. Keep checking on all the health statuses. Keep setting your lineups well. We're still very, very early in the season, and uh, whether you had a good draft or not, uh, that doesn't matter at this point. You still have to manage your team and do the best that you can, and hopefully you will get a, wi- a win in Week 2. But as always, if you guys have more specific questions regarding your team or league, Happy to answer questions on Twitter. You're, you can find me at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And you can find me at FFA underscore Los. That's L-O-S. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Wherever you're listening, hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our upcoming podcast episodes. It's a fantasy world, and we're all just addicts in it. Thanks, addicts. Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit caron.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery.